in the first book of the Bible, in the second chapter, there is a, uh, a remarkable story that's told. And here's what happens in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 21. Listen to this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now this is, like, men have still stayed pretty good um, at this, sleeping. And it all, it all roots back right here to scripture, so you have, and while he slept, okay, which, which I love that too, like God, like, hey men, please hear this, God keeps working when you're sleeping, which is a good thing, right, which is why we can rest in him, so let's keep going, okay, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and, and closed up its place with flesh. Now, you've heard it said before that God is the great physician in a cliche, this is pretty solid work right here, you know. So he reaches down, he pulls out a rib and just seals it right up, no stitches necessary. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woe man, into a woman, okay, right, and brought her to the man. This is awesome, like this was, Christmas came early, okay, right, so Adam wakes up and, and there she is. He'd been looking at rhinoceroses thus far, you know, he, he had been giving names to giraffes and now all of a sudden he wakes up and he... He sees the woe man, okay, verse 23. Then the man just re- responds. He says, the man said, this, what does he say? Come on. At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Somehow he, he knew that, that God had done this work uh, in him and from him. Therefore, verse 24, the first wedding, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become, what's the word? One flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked, and, and they weren't ashamed. This is a good thing, okay? We got nudity, we got no shame, all is well after the first wedding, okay? Now, what's interesting to me, what strikes me, we don't have an exact timeline here in Genesis chapter 2, but a lot of you, uh, you, you walked into marriage with a certain perception that you get married and... Like all of the issues and some of the qualms and some of the personality characteristic traits that other person had that was annoying you, something happens there on the altar where all that just goes away. All right, so you get married and then bliss happens. So let's look and see what happens in the first marriage, okay? They were naked and, unash- uh, and not, not ashamed. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So uh, the bliss of marriage um, is met with quick temptation. But I want to make sure you understand something. The reason why I start with this story tonight is to say this. Uh, Satan's initial attack on humans... His initial weaponry, his initial, I want to get in between something, his initial entrance is into the marriage. We should not be surprised by this now, that we find ourselves, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, in a battle, not against flesh and blood. Like We should consider, okay, he, he begins with marriage, and so then there's, there's a reason why we, we feel as husband and wife, I'm even going to extend it, as boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever the kids call it these days, um, we find ourselves in a battle. The battle relationally, I believe, begins with singleness. Hello, single people. Do I got any up in here tonight? Okay, there we go. 
okay? That's the one thing. Married people, they don't want to admit it most times, right? Just because, you know, they kind of get old and lose some of their joy. But single people, they're ready to own it, right? I love that, single people, okay? Listen, our battle with marriage and relationships begins as a single person. If you think for some obscene reason that the things you do as a single person do not affect your relationship and your marriage, you are mistaken. And so sometimes when we start talking about marriage, right, it's very easy for folks to kind of sit back and say, yeah, but that's not for me. I'm single. I I want me a husband or want me a wife, but in due time, the Lord will do his thing. And you've learned all kinds of cliches to understand that. But I want to make sure you know this. Your singleness will affect your marriage, will affect your relationship. So we're in a battle. Now, um, a lot of times the battle is hidden. Uh, I grew up um, in the confines of church community where it seemed like there was no battle. Where everyone was Christian F-word all the time. Everyone was fine, right? Everybody. All the marriages were great. Everyone had a white picket fence freshly painted. Uh, marriages never fought except in the car on the way to church, right? And then they told their kids not to tell anybody what had happened. A lot of times this battle is hidden. Uh, you and your life uh, certainly can understand this because you have, you've done, I would assume, some hiding yourself. Those days are not right now for this body. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, things hidden, the battle, that are uh, coming to the forefront. And uh, I say tonight and stand before you tonight, I'm thankful Am I thankful that the battle is heavy? No. Am am I thankful for sin? No. But I am thankful for a community where the battle can be honest. Where as people, whether caught or come out with sin or just wrestling in their marriage or relationship, they all of a sudden find their sin being exposed. What they're finding is, prayerfully, Lord willing, in this place it can be. Because judgment and gossip are not going to run the show. And so I'm thankful, not because I love sin, but I'm thankful that we can exist in a place where sin can come out and where we can continue to rest in the one thing we got going for us, the person of Jesus. So tonight we're going to pause 1 Corinthians. And instead we're going to teach a different line. Uh, Here's what I've realized, here's what I've come to. The battle in marriage and relationships and singleness seems so intense because of this right here. Next slide. It seems so intense because prayer has become a consolation prize. Come on, haven't you heard someone say before, hey, what can I do for you? And then they say, oh, you know, I'll pray for you, of course, but what else can I do? As if to put prayer on the, you know, in the second place. As if to put their efforts in human comfort above pleading to the Lord on what the Lord could do. My contention tonight is that prayer has become a Christian potion. And that it's something every once in a while that we like dabble like pixie dust on stuff. 
But in reality, we have gotten very distant from the power of it, from the understanding of it. Why is the battle in marriages, relationships, and singleness so incredibly intense? I'm going to take a step further. Why are we finding ourselves in sin? I'm telling you right now, one of the primary reasons is because prayer has taken a place that's a consolation prize. Tonight, no more. Uh, Many of you guys walk in here with certain perceptions of prayer, and I want to help us understand that. Okay? Next slide. Some of you guys see prayer as this. Why do you pray? Okay, number one, uh, some of you, your main intention in praying is to encourage others. It has nothing to do with the Lord at all, right? You just want to pray so that you can tell somebody else that you prayed. I mean, how many text messages have you got from someone that said that they're praying for you? And listen, praise the Lord when it, when it actually happens, but it's taking the place of have a nice day. You guys understand what I'm saying? So now we just say, hey, I'm praying for you. We didn't really do it, but we know what will happen is the the person on the other end of the line of communication will feel cared for. I don't know about you, but I don't need to feel cared for above knowing that my brothers and sisters are pleading to the throne of God on my behalf, interceding for me. But again, we place our emotions, our feelings on the top shelf. These things are the things that are most important, so because of that, we feed in. Some of you guys pray uh, for this reason. You pray for, like, self-counseling, right? You're like, well, what's self-counseling? Have you ever just talked to yourself on end in the car? Uh, You're, like, processing out loud. So some of you pray, and you forget even who you're talking to. You just get enamored with your own words. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you start praying, and and it begins pretty solid, right? Dear God, I approach your throne in the name of your son, Jesus, who's given me access. And God, like, why did I do, you know, and you, like, go off on this tangent, and the pretty birds are distracting you, and, and, but at the end of it, you feel better. You know, because you've kind of looked in the mirror, and as the old Saturday Night Life uh, skit went, you know, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, right? And doggone it, right? Come on. Second service, that won't work, but this service, it should, all right? Uh, some of you guys, you've prayed because of this. Next slide. Uh, you pray to get God's approval, right? Like someone told you in some Sunday school class, if you don't pray, then God hates you. Or if you don't pray, then you're not disciplined like all the other good Christians that do. And so for some of you, um, your main intention in praying is, uh, is simply to make sure that God on his checklist of goods and bads checks uh, they did a good job at praying. They've at least prayed. You know, they sure screwed some other things up, but at least they're praying, right? Do you understand how dangerous that is? Uh, we don't pray to high-five the Lord and wait for him to say, well done, good prayer. We pray for other reasons. Uh, some of you guys still yet, uh, you pray um, to meditate. This is dangerous. I want to share this with you, and, and I, hope, I hope you understand this. I, I was talking with a guy I've only had a couple times in my life where I would say I've met someone that was severely being uh, tormented by a demon. But, but there was uh, one gentleman that I had met with, and um, he said, Mark, I've really gotten into prayer recently. He was not a believer. I've really gotten into prayer recently. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, so tell me about that. And he's like, yeah, like what I do is I, I sit and I meditate. I kind of let my thoughts overtake me, and, and I just, you know, it's very new, new age. I put some yoga music on, and, and I let... Let the music do its deal. And what started happening about a week later is he started seeing a black figure above his bed every single night. Um, he was at the time drug free. And 
what, what I started to, to hear and understand later is uh, what I would consider demon uh, oppression. Uh, he uh, opened his mind to something and his spirit, maybe we could say, to something that was very, very real. And so some of us, we're, we're like in this, um, not praying to listen or not praying to wait on the Lord. We're actually praying in a meditative, new age-ish, yoga, college class sort of way, you know? For me, yoga in, in college was a, a, a chance to nap. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't invest anything in it. In fact, uh, Heidi, I, I, I said, hey, I need to buy a yoga mat for college. And she gave me a mat that had like, it was like a back massager that had all the bumps and grooves in it. So it was like the worst possible yoga mat, you know? But every single class, this is a complete commercial, every single class, like, like someone would have to wake me up, you know, because that's what that music does. And I would say that in some of your meditative states of prayer, you find yourself, uh, for lack of a better term, asleep. Uh, still some, next slide. Uh, you pray for this reason. Uh, you pray to throw the coins in the pond. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what you believe, really, is, uh, you know, maybe if I wish upon a star, um, then something's going to happen. Uh, you find yourself very uh, circumstantial. Uh, we could even say superstitious. You know, like if you throw a penny in and it lands perfectly on another penny and then a dime like slides in between it or something weird happens, you're like, Lord, you are hearing this, you know. <laughs> Certainly this is you, oh God, right. Uh, still yet, some of you guys, uh, you pray for this reason. Your prayer life is, uh, is seen by a last-ditch uh, last effort. Uh, so praying doesn't come up in your mind until uh, the war is seemingly over, or almost. You already feel wounded and bruised. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, Mark, this is actually kind of a depressing opening, <laughs> because I see like every facet of this in my life. Okay, so first of all, you're not alone. You're not alone in the room. You also, yes, my friends, you're not alone in terms of the church in Acts. We have this picture. Their prayer life rocked. They never got it wrong. They were flawless in their prayer life. I want to show you something different. If you've known me long enough, you know how much I love this story for the image that it portrays. Next slide. Check this out here in Acts chapter 12. When he realized this, Peter, he was in prison, gets let out. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Not sure why he has six names. Where, look at this, where many were gathered and were praying. Well, what were they praying for? They were praying because Peter was in prison. They wanted Peter to get out of prison. So they said, like good Christians do, let's get together. Let's hold a prayer meeting. Well, you know, we'll light a candle. We'll sing Kumbaya. We're going to pray that God will release Peter from prison. Look at this. So Peter is. He's out. He knocks on the door of the gateway, and the servant girl, my favorite character in the story, named Rhoda, came to answer. This girl is just, you know, she has to be flabbergasted, right? Recognizing Peter's voice, which is awesome, in her joy, she did not open the gate. Okay? This is crazy, right? Listen, Peter's out of prison. Please let the brother in, right, before he, before he gets captured again. Look. But she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Hey, everybody in the prayer gathering, guess what? Peter's out. Our prayers have been answered. Here's the response. They said, or you're out of your mind, Right? There is no way God could answer our prayers that we were just praying fervently. There's no way this could happen. Certainly God didn't do that. Right. But she kept insisting that it was so. And, and they kept saying, no, it's his angel. He gone. Like, this is an angel. Let's come on, on, in Peter's stead, you know. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> He's, you know, don't you, can't can you get this image in your mind? You know, I'm just standing there 
at the door knocking away. Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. So, um, you're not alone. Uh, brothers and sisters in this room are struggling in their prayer life. Uh, our good, seemingly perfect image of the church in Acts struggled. Um, so what should we do? So do we just say, like, all right, every, like, everyone, we're just going to struggle. And so every week we're going to come together and we're going to coddle one another in our struggle. We're, we're going to sit back and say, all right, I, I guess the struggle just is the struggle. My marriage is going to be impacted by the struggle. My relationship, my singleness, my life is just going to be impacted by the struggle. Or tonight, can we understand a different way? What if all of a sudden a prayer wasn't the consolation prize in your marriage? Listen, what if all of a sudden your marriage had a complete revival in the understanding of what prayer can do in your life? What if that happened tonight? Listen, what if uh, in your relationship, some of you who have come here, and I, I'm kind of making an awkward moment, right, because some of you are like on the fence right now, you know? You walked in holding hands and now you're not, you know, you're... you're a couple months into the dating relationship. You've claimed to be believers, right? Like you, you claim Jesus, you worship seemingly hardcore, but prayer has yet to even be talked about in your relationship. Again, like, like that's kind of a sub bar. Listen, we'll get to the potion when it's necessary. What if tonight, in your relationship, all of a sudden God showed you a different way? And listen, how about you single people? You still here? Come on, single people. All right, a few less than last time. All right, way to go. The Lord's already answering them prayers. He's like, I just got the text. She's in, you know, it's great. Right? <laughs> Listen, what if, what if, what if in your singleness tonight, all of a sudden God showed you a different way? What if all of a sudden the communication to all of us was, Listen, my grace is sufficient. For your lack of desire to pursue me in prayer, and it can all change now. Is grace just for the sins of my past, or is grace sufficient too for how my prayer life has entered in here, fragile, feeble, and limping along? Are you guys with me? So I believe there's a different way. Next slide, let's wrestle with this question. How does prayer become more than a consolation prize? How does it move off the shelf, off the bench? How does it move from being awkward between husband and wife? How does it move to being an un untouchable thing in a relationship? How does it move from that place? I believe there's three ways. We're going to look at these one at a time, okay? Number one, how does it not become a consolation a prize? Belief, faith. Faith, even in answering these questions, look at these three questions. Let's just start here. Look at this. Okay, next slide. Look at this. Is God hearing? Does God care? Is God answering? Don't you think if you stepped back from your existence and you began evaluating just these three questions, is God hearing? If the answer to that was yes, if you really believed that, that the God of the universe who sits on a sovereign throne was somehow hearing your prayers. Don't you think that that would have some sort of impact 
on your communication with him. So then, A plus B equals C, if it's not, then we could say there's doubt if he's hearing, right? Are these words just hitting the ceiling? Is this just for encouragement? Have I just convinced myself of this? Does God care? Right? Like many of us have sat in the shower, like hands in your hairs, sitting in your car at your wit's end, and the thought goes through your mind, man, there's a lot of people to care about. Like I know of, you know, 15 or 20 of my friends right now that are going through difficult times. Are, are, like how can I be sure that God cares about me? Our friend didn't text us back yesterday, right? And so we assimilate all of the things of our friendships onto God. Well, I'm, like, I'm sure God doesn't really care. Like, how can he care about this? That my need in comparison to this person or that person, it seems so menial. How many of you guys believe that tonight? Like, that he doesn't care, that he stopped caring, that he stopped taking interest, that the prayer that you've prayed thousands and thousands of times, he just doesn't even hear anymore. It's like a resounding gong. And lastly, is God answering well, the problem is we've been trained to celebrate the yeses and not the noes. And that's where many of you find yourselves tonight. You're only waiting on God to answer yes. And when he answers no, you don't celebrate that. We pray, God, open and shut doors. And then when he shuts one, we're like, God, no, but open that one you just shut. You know? Was that a clear shut? Because it kind of seems maybe three quarters. I'm not sure. Right? And then he shuts it again. And you, like, hear the noise of the shut. And you're like, no, I think, no, maybe that was Satan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Satan shut that door. You know? Right? Now, on the issue of belief, check out what Scripture says in 1 John. I love this. One of my favorite texts, actually, in the Bible. I write these things to you, uh, says John, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance is key, is what he's saying. You need to know. Okay? Being assured in your faith and eternal life is a good thing. And then, look, he says this on the issue of assurance. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Confidence. This is the faith. This is the assurance that we have toward the person of Christ, that if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. Okay, and so you're like, whoa, 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 okay, hold. so what if I don't pray according to his will? Does that mean he doesn't hear? Does that mean he doesn't care? No, I'm, I'm just saying, when we pray according to the will of God, we've taught before here, we could take that to say the promises of God. You pray the promises of God. You claim victory in the fact that 1 Corinthians says that he's the God of all comfort. You claim victory in that. Guess what? He's the God of all comfort. That is a promise. So when you pray in his will, God comfort me. Guess what? He is the comforter. He hears that prayer. Not just hears. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If we pray in his will, he hears and he answers. And the word by itself is a living proof because it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, that he cares. He's given us these words, as we said last week, to guide us. But if these things are a struggle, of course they're going to affect your prayer, right? Like you're not going to talk to a God that you believe doesn't care. You're not going to talk to a God who you believe isn't listening. You're not going to talk to a God who you don't see answers from. Again, we've blamed, listen, we've blamed it on a lot of things. We've said we're lazy, we need to make more time. Listen, doesn't it just come down to belief? Because you make time for things you want to do, right? Did you watch season six, episode one, anybody? Did you make some time for that, you know? And so you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, okay? You're like, oh, no, I'm not, I, no, I don't know that show, you know? Okay, all right. For the rest of you, you're like, what is he talking about? The Cubs winning? Well, I'm talking about that as well. 
that's a whole nother issue, okay? It's a whole nother issue. <laughs> Next slide. So the first thing is belief. The second aspect I want to challenge tonight is obedience. How does prayer move off the shelf? How does prayer all of a sudden uh, take root in our life? How does prayer become more than a consolation prize? Listen, simple obedience. Obedience. And remember what we said last week. I'll reiterate what I just said a second ago. God has given us his word to shape our life. Uh, This didn't happen in the first service last week, but I want to tell you what happened in the second. Because like, just in a fury of the spirit, all of a sudden I was shown something that I had never thought of before. When a person comes to Christ... How long does it take for another immature Christian to say, you need to stop cussing, you need to stop drinking, you need, like, and they, they just list it off. And the new Christian's like, what in the world? You know, like, say, what, I got to stop cussing? Like, I'll give up a few words, but I need some, you know, that I can turn to, you know? <laughs> and, and they feel duped. Have you ever talked to a new believer that feels duped? Hold on, you guys didn't tell me this, Right? You didn't say I couldn't, you know, I couldn't watch that anymore. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they start backing away. Listen, what if, what if all of a sudden the believer comes alongside the new believer and they say things like this? Listen, you'll never believe this. You'll never believe what our God has done. He has said in his grace that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't be sexually immoral. Can I tell you the amount of pain, hurt, and regret that you will get to leave behind by following the amazing commands of a good God. And then all of a sudden, like, the commands of God, we getting to sit in obedience to God aren't burdensome anymore like we saw, right? Like now all of a sudden the new believer's like, yes, thank you God that he calls me to not have a mouth of profanity. God, thank you that he's called me to a life not of sexual morality. Thank you that he's called me not to a life of gossip. So obedience is a good thing. So I sit before you, listen, a good God has blessed us with words on how to connect with him. Isn't that good? Can, can I just list a few? Can I check these out? Four to be exact, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 9, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to, to send out laborers, labo, okay? Um, <laughs> that's the uh, new, that's the NIV there. Um, <laughs> um so Jesus, like, listen, pray. He taught the Lord's Prayer. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. I, this, that, that text has always tripped me up. How can I pray without ceasing? And, you know, we, we grow up thinking this image is, oh, I can never leave my house, right? So on bent knee, hands folded the whole time. That's what praying without ceasing means. Look at this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, says Colossians 4. We studied this. Watchful in it with thanksgiving. In Philippians 4, we studied this as well. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, these are not suggestions. I say I believe in God. I say I want to put my trust in God. I say I desire to follow God. I say I long for forgiveness of sins. And then God in his mercy and grace says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you an amazing means to connect with me. And then we start picking and choosing. Well, I'll take this one when it's convenient. I'll grab that command when it feels good. But this whole pray thing, I don't know. I'll go through seasons. And what we really mean by seasons is like one day out of a year, right? There's something more. There's something different. 
things and prayer specifically comes out of the consolation prize when we understand the blessing to obey. And I think clearly the argument is made. Praying is commanded. Okay. And finally, and this is my favorite out of this string, intimacy. That's right. Intimacy. Now, you hear the word intimate, you start getting a little bit weirded out. You're like, I don't know. Like, I've, I don't know if I want to be intimate with God. I, I've, it seems like the, the closer that I draw to God, the clearer my junk is, the clearer my sin is. Uh, it seems like, I, I don't know, like, it, if you were to be honest, I'm just asking, like, are, are you fearful of that intimacy? Listen, he already knows every facet of us. Which to me is one of the great fears of intimacy. In marriages, it's one of the great reasons why you hide things from your spouse. Because you believe if they knew all of the stuff, all of the thoughts, all of the actions, that it would pull away from intimacy. And so instead you hide. The amazing thing about the gospel, he already knows. He already knows it all. So we have nothing to hide. Which means we have every facet of intimacy to sit and bask in. In other words, if we could be in an intimate, close proximity relationship to the God of the universe, and he's welcoming it in spite of our sin, why wouldn't we run to it? Okay, to further this thought, love this text. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, right? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, which I just want to remind you, just so you understand and listen, the reason why we opened the service with Psalm 121, the reason why Brandon shared what he did, the reason why I'll share what I do now, there is only one hope and that's Jesus. That's it. We only enter the holy places through Christ. There is no other God. There is no other means. You're not going to get intimacy with God by any other means apart from Christ. Okay, so he's done a good work. Okay, so through the blood of Jesus then, look, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and and a certain image here of as Jesus dies, the curtain that separated the holy of holies and the temple from, uh, from man, and God is torn in two as Jesus dies, verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's your promise, verse 22, I love this, let us draw near. We have confidence. The blood of Jesus has done the work, so let's go. Let's draw near then. Let's find ourselves not running away. Let's find ourselves running to. Listen, I want to be a, a voice of grace over and over and over tonight. The amazing thing about amazing grace is that as far as you've been running when you entered this building, the grace of God says, in the story of the prodigal son and many others, you turn and run to him, he's like, he's waiting. He's waiting. Because of this, the confidence we have in the blood of Christ, we can draw near, look at this, in full assurance of faith. What does that mean? In full, assur- in full assurance of what? We can draw near in full assurance that God isn't going to say, go away. Is that not making anyone else's heart beat a little bit tonight? Because of our relationship with Jesus, we have full assurance to step in 
to the holiest of holy place, intimate relationship with God, and God will not turn his back to us because of Christ. This is unbelievable. Again, every other world religion or world system or understanding says you do enough and then God maybe will approve of you, but we're approved in Christ. And so I can step into the Holy of Holies through the torn curtain. Like this is the intimacy that prayer brings, that prayer provides, that prayer gives us. Look at this. With our hearts, we, we can stand in full assurance, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. He says then, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And somebody better get a little bit excited, for he who promised is what? Come on. Faithful, man. He's faithful. He's faithful. He who promised this is faithful and true and good and loving. He, he can't lie. He can't go against his word. And so the amazing promise that we have then is that because of all these things, prayer can become something more. Just in summary and review, next slide, look at this. Prayer can become more than a consolation prize because of obedience, intimacy, and this awesome gift that we have in cherishing him. We have this. Now, here's my question. This will be tough before we move on. Do you want more? Do you want more? If you could have it, would you want it? So um, some folks ask me, like, all right, Mark, like, so what's, like, all right, so now's the point in the night where you give us uh, an action step, right? So now's the point where we, uh, Andrew, cue the slide of the 13 things to do. Okay, so number one, you guys, some of you are looking for it. You're like, what? No. So that shows how bad you want it, right? Like, yeah, just put the list up, okay? Um, so the, the action, right? Um, okay, so Mark, uh, you're right, you're right. I should, I should schedule it on my calendar. All right, Mark, that's a good word, Mark. Uh, yeah, you're right. We should, uh, we should, you know, we should make a prayer chart. And then every day that I pray for those things, I'll just, I'll make a check mark, right? And that'll feel great because I'll feel like I've done my duty, But what if before we looked at another thing tonight, and things are about to get a little bit heavy, what if we just stopped and prayed right now that God will increase our belief, that God will give us a picture of a good God who's helping us obey his commands through his spirit, and these commands aren't burdensome, they're freeing? And what if all of a sudden God could shift our heart to help us believe that intimacy with him is a good thing? Don't you think that if those things changed, if God changed our heart in those ways that we would long to pray? Don't you think? Like, it's not rocket science, I believe. So can we just pause and pray that in, in power right now, okay? So, uh, God, I'm thankful that you know us very, very well, and yet you have extended grace. In fact, uh, you, you say in Romans that uh, even while we were still sinners that your son died, and I'm thankful for that. First of all, God, I'm asking that you would increase our faith, our belief, our trust here, God. We're, we have gone our own way. We have distanced ourselves from you, God. We, we have believed um, that you don't care, uh, that you're not hearing, that you're not answering. Uh, I would ask right now that you will increase in this room our trust of you. I mean, right now, God, I pray for a flood of faith to overwhelm us. 
The kind of faith that isn't on a shaky stand, but that's on a, a, the cornerstone of your son. The kind of faith, God, that would trust you as sovereign king. So increase our faith. God, right now, I pray that you would free us from seeing your commandments as burdensome. Free us right now. Any of us, God, who have put on the yoke of slavery again, the bondage, I pray right now, God, that you'll free us from that. I thank you, God, for your commands. I thank you that they're a blessing. I thank you that they're a gift. Help us see it as that. And Lord, right now, I pray that you will create in our heart a desire to be in an intimate relationship with you. I pray that you'll take away fear, and I pray, God, that you'll give us an awe, a respect. So I'm, I'm praying right now in power that you will come over all of us in whatever situation we've walked in here, and that you'll change us. In your great name, amen. All right. All right. Next slide. What are the implications then of these things? So marriages, I want to talk to you first. Listen, here, here's the amazing thing, okay? The amazing thing uh, about what we can cherish in marriages is that it's not too late. Listen, I, I want to make sure you understand this. It is not too late, marriages. But Mark, you don't know what he did. But Mark, you don't know the pain. Right now, for a lot of your marriages, listen, it's, it's gotten very, very awkward. The thought to pray the thought to all of a sudden like, you know, hey, honey, would you, would, you, would you like to pray? The thought of that like makes some of you squeamish because it's been so long, right? It's been so long, uh, in introducing the conversation would be weird. Listen, you'll get with some of your, with some of your boys, right, man? You'll, ladies, you'll get with your ladies' Bible study and you'll throw down, right? I mean, you'll hold hands. You'll, I mean, you'll plead the blood of Jesus. You'll cry out in strength. You will, you will plead Christ. And then you get with your hubby or you get with your wife, and all of a sudden, they're not seen as a brother and sister in Christ. All of a sudden, they're seen as the enemy. Marriages, listen, it is not too late. Are there a lot of marriages uh, battling in our body right now? Yes, and it is not too late for a single one of them. It is not too late. It's not too late for the pain that's been caused to be journeyed through. It's not too late for the grace of God to even though in your mind you want to completely convict your spouse to like years of prison because of the pain. Listen, it's not too late for them to receive an overwhelming grace of the Lord. And it's not too late to start this thing over. Right? But many of you are like, no, 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 Mark. You don't, you don't understand. Listen, I don't have to understand. No one in this room has to understand. Please understand that. He does. He does. We get so frustrated with one another, right? You don't understand. You don't understand. I've just started telling people, you're right, I don't. 
I don't understand, but I do know this. It is not too late for prayer, not just to make the, an entrance into the marriage, but to become the foundation of the marriage. It is not too late, husbands. What if tonight? What if tonight? And, and you, you won't do this because you're like, well, Mark just said so. And so you'll feel bad, right? It's like when your wife says you forgot her anniversary and then you say hey, anniversary doesn't count, okay? Listen, it does. Husbands, you have to start somewhere. What if tonight you're like, babe, listen, first of all, I repent of my poor leadership. I repent of the ways that I haven't been guiding and leading our family. And babe, listen, I want that to change tonight. So could we just start simply? Could you just tell me one way tonight, honey, that I could pray for you? And husbands, what would that look like? Even in all the strife, even in all the fights, even in all the arguments, if you just prayed for her. Listen, I believe that most of the battle that is even revealing hidden sin or hidden struggle is because Prayer in the marriage was just seen as some anecdote or something that we do for the kids. But it's more than that, isn't it, my brothers and sisters? Isn't it more? Then it has to be more. Husbands, wives, it's not too late. Every single marriage in this room that is hurting, that is going through pain, listen, we hurt with you. The scripture calls us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And we, we mourn with you. We hurt with you in the pain. Those who are being emotionally abused, those who are being physically abused, those who are being spiritually abused, and on and on and on. Those who have been cheated against, those who have caught spouses in pornography, those who have just become distant and become angry and bitter. It is not too late, my friends. And all of a sudden, as prayer through the blood of Jesus to the throne of God becomes foundational, becomes not a last-ditch last effort, but becomes the means by which, uh, by which the relationship survives, you feel naked if you haven't prayed, I'm telling you. So lastly on this, my, my wife and I, for years... Um, even as we were dating, decided that every night together we would pray. And have we failed in that? Yes. Have we done it every single night? No. Okay. But as a rule, a freedom rule, I would say, we've, we've prayed together. And are the prayers sometimes a little bit lame? Yes, I'll confess to that. Are the prayers sometimes like, you know, Jesus, and like I wake up like three minutes later, right? And Heidi's cashed, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you know? Um, <laughs> So is that a reality? Yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing for sure. I'll tell you one thing for sure. There's been a lot, a lot of nights where the two of us uh, have been, um, maybe we could say in marriage, like we've had a f some discussions, you know, that have been a little bit colorful, you know, like, right? Or, she, you know, she says something to me and I say something to her and, and it doesn't go well. But listen, we know prayer's coming. That's the thing. Now, have there been nights where I'm like, all right, let's pray. <laughs> Dear God, convict my wife right now of all of 
Have I, done, have I prayed those prayers? Yes. All right? But it is so incredibly humbling. It is so incredibly humbling in that moment to have to turn and say, let's pray. When five minutes ago, I was saying something that I regretted. Why? Because I believe that God is hearing. And I believe that God is what, what her and I need, not me. She doesn't need me to be Superman. And my wife doesn't need me to be Jesus. She already has Jesus. I've tried. I've tried to be the Christ for her. And listen, what I, what I realize, and it's a, good, it's a good proof text, I fail miserably at being Jesus. But I'm thankful he did a good job. It's not too late. I believe tremendous healing and all of a sudden prayer making just a massive entrance into marriages can happen tonight. All right, what about relationships? Some of you are like, whoa, 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 no, man. Like this is supposed to be talking about marriage tonight, man. Like, come on, leave us alone, Mark, right? Why in the world would you ever date someone who does not show tremendous fruit from a prayer life that as Jesus taught, they go in the room in secret and pray. You can tell when people are in their room pleading to the Lord. Why in the world would you ever date somebody that you have never talked about prayer with? Like why in the world would you begin that way? Uh, The way I teach uh, uh, our college students in particular, our young singles, is I'm like, you need, before you start dating, to do a tremendous amount of recon. For the, for the military less inclined, that means you're checking a lot of things out, okay? And one of the main things you're looking for are fruits of the Spirit. Listen, if you go and say, hey, so do you live for Jesus? Guess what they're going to say? They're going to say, yeah. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, like I read the Scripture. I read it last year. They're going to say those things, okay? But it's totally different. It's totally different if you stay back and do recon. Do I find them when they say they're going to pray for someone actually praying? Have I watched them lay hands on someone and pray for somebody? Mark, you're like, Mark, you're raising the bar of relationships. Yeah, I am. All I'm doing, though, is communicating the beauty of Scripture that calls us to something more. So listen, uh, what would I say? Uh, You know, some of you are like, is he going to, you know, call for a mass exodus breakup session tonight? Um, Maybe, right? But... No, but similarly, what I am going to say is, look, if, if you're a man pursuing Christ and a woman pursuing Christ, and you're, you're finding yourself compromising because you're getting antsy, you find yourself like, ah, oh, maybe this one needs to be the one because the one ain't coming around. So I'll make them the one. They'll, they'll become the, the de facto one. Right. Find someone that you can picture 50 years down the road as you go through tremendous tragedy you can already picture yourself hand in hand pleading for God's comfort listen what if, what if, what if one of my children passed away right now you know what I long for in that moment is a spouse who will re- remind me in my grief We need to cry out to the Lord. What I don't need in that moment is a spouse who cusses God. 
And you can see the beginnings of that here and now. And so relationships, I'm just, I'm challenging you to see this, adhere to this, understand this. The singles, here we go. My singles, you guys still here? All right. Even less, okay. Actually, I should say even more, right? You'll get it later. You'll get it later. Um, You say you want singles. Okay, so if I've had a conversation with a single person, I've had a million of them. Okay, here's how they go. Mark, I want a spouse. I say, how much have you asked the Lord for it? Well, you know, I, you know. I, I, I have asked him about it. All right, so when? Well, like, well, you know, when did you ask him about it? When did you ask him for a spouse? You know, you know what I did, Mark? I, I, when I was 10, I prayed for my spouse, Mark. You want, and you wonder why you don't have, and then listen, when God answers the prayers, when you say, God, listen, bring me a spouse, God, I'll submit to whatever you want, God, help me in my singleness, and God says, oh, I'm going to help you in your singleness, I'm going to make you so uncomfortable in your singleness so that you're thrusted to a full reliance on me that you're going to now see how I answer prayer. It's, it's rarity. I, there's a few folks here, but it's rare that I meet a single person that said, I pray for a spouse, God said no for a season, and I celebrated because God answered my prayer. They're like, the Lord's holding out on me. Singles, you have this amazing opportunity to ask, to wait on the Lord, and to trust that, yes, in fact, he's got the whole world in his hands. No matter what category you're in tonight, no matter what your situation, no matter what your reality, what if prayer, all of a sudden, because we believed, because we longed for intimacy, like what if all of a sudden prayer got a hold of our life and it wasn't because we put up 13 action steps it was because you trusted that he really was God so what does this mean for our church we're in a war what we're not going to do is sweep it under the rug That's even tonight why we wanted to pause and address it. What we're not going to say is, hey, you come to Matthias's lot and everybody's awesome. We've all seen the Lego movie. Everything's just awesome all the time. Right? You come to Matthias and it's picture perfect relationships all around. There's no strife. There's no struggle. If we sweep it under the rug, then you know what happens it shows the people that are hurting that they, that they have to stay hurting. So fake it. Just stay hurting. Just sit back. Don't tell anybody. You know what happens in addressing this tonight? You know what happens? More sin is surfaced. You guys understand? It, you know, they don't teach you that in Pastor 101. Hey, listen, if you want to halt sin, just stop talking about it so then it doesn't surface. No, instead, we're going to confront it. And more sin will come out. 
And it will give us as a body more and more chance to journey with people and to plead the throne of God with them as we watch, as has happened here over and over, marriages go from far away to very close. I was reminded by a good friend today, a text message. She said, Mark, hey, I just want, I want to remind you of our testimony. She said, amidst all the hurt, amidst all the pain, amidst what the body's journeying through right now, I just want to remind you that a couple years ago, where my husband and I were, and now where we are. This body journeyed with us. They cared for us. They loved us. And God has done a good work because that's what God does. There's no need to sweep anything under the rug. But I believe tonight that if our approach and understanding and our desire changes as it pertains to prayer, marriages, your, your kids are going to see a difference. What happens when daddy has a bad day? Daddy comes home and mom says, hey kids, it's clear daddy's stressed out today. Let's gather around dad and let's pray for him right now. And when dad can tell that his wife's hurting, instead of saying something stupid like he's done a hundred times before, instead he just puts his hand on her shoulder and begins to pray that God will do what he can't do. And then what happens is our seven, our eight, our ten-year-olds, our three-year-olds, they grow up in homes where prayer isn't a potion but where prayer is our intimate connection with God. And so tonight, um, there's a lot of stuff that you're wrestling with that I'm wrestling with. My marriage is, is far from anywhere near perfect. I have sinned tonight, I must repent of. But the amazing thing about the blood of Jesus is the scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not too late for any of us tonight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite my leaders uh, to come up here with me now, if you can. So my leaders, come on up. You see, tonight, the, the promise of the, the blood spilt, of the promise of the, the shed body of Christ, is that tonight we have hope. There's not one marriage in here, not one person in here um, that has to sit in hopelessness. These, these men, our lot family leaders tonight, are, are going to serve you as together we just make this whole place a place of prayer. So as they get the elements, I'm going to pray over us. And let's ask God to give us hope in something more tonight. Come on. Father, I thank you that right now in this very second, our hope is in you. The outcome tonight will not be perfected marriages or right relationships or great singleness. But God, we know tonight that you can reform us, that you can stir repentance in us, that you can change us. So I thank you, God, for the hope. 
for the cleansing flood of your blood down from a cross. I thank you, God, for an empty tomb. I thank you, God, tonight that we can trust in the reality of who you are and not who we are. So God, in this body, we lay our lives at your feet. Our brokenness, our broken marriages, our broken relationships. And we're asking you, God, right now to do a work that we have never seen or could even imagine. Do that work in us tonight. Come and respond, church.